This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. What's up, everybody? It's your boy Steve, and uh, sitting down for another episode of the Baked and Awake podcast. What is it? It's Monday, February 25th, right now at the time of recording. Um, we're gonna we're gonna roll up a joint real quick together here, and we're gonna just sort of do it together while I'm talking to you as we get the show started and we'll allow that to serve as the uh, introduction to my usual disclaimer about cannabis use on the podcast. Uh, if you didn't figure it out by the title of the show, Baked in the Wake is a 420 friendly show and a cannabis focused podcast. We talk cannabis education, cannabis history, lifestyle stuff, headlines, politics, uh, and we also look at the Pacific Northwest cannabis industry from my perspective as, you know, something of an insider, just an employee of of a a number of companies here in the region since the legalization uh, occurred just a few years ago. So I presently work for a Tacoma-based garden called Weed Plus Tacoma. Today's joint, by the way, incidentally, is going to be just a couple of my employee samples. I'm, I'm blending two right now. Uh, I went and grabbed the Oregon Silver Haze, a little nug of that, and the Strawberry Banana Hybrid as my other choice. And I'm just getting, grinding them up with my little space case from my friends over at Veridi Munera in the UK. Um, you can follow them on Instagram. Veridi Munera is a really cool monthly um, sort of treasure box, one of those subscription box services. Um, and uh, I, I'm not committed to Veridi Munera. I'm not stuck on a monthly subscription with them at all, nor would you be if you chose to check out their offerings. They put together like a monthly a la carte, once a month box. And uh, Right now, I happen to be using my Space Case grinder, which um, is a little larger than my uh, older metal grinder that I've had for many years. Uh, And I was delighted to find that along with uh, some genetics and a bunch of different interesting and unique rolling papers, some uh, filter tips from a company called Rolls. Uh, I might even use one of those today when I roll this joint. cool little like terpene infused candle that was like a skull a skull a skull head um and uh some art there was like a, you know some high-res uh digital cannabis uh imagery in there um uh, and a few other fun things uh, oh i think i i think i got a little raw rolling tray or ashtray excuse me a little raw ashtray in that in that box as well and i got in on like their debut box back in i want to say it was december so they, they do it monthly. Uh, I'll put the link to Veridi Munera in the um, show description, of course. Uh, and you should definitely check them out. Follow them on Instagram and keep your eyes peeled. If you see a box that looks particularly cool, you know, coming up in their feed, you might want to jump on that. Um, 
I think I, you know, even coming from the UK, I paid under, you know, 70 bucks for my whole monthly box. And, you know, it was actually quite fun. Um, not a big one for all those different interesting subscription services that exist these days. But obviously being a smoker, uh, it was fun to, you know, get like a little replenish uh, stash of a bunch of different things all in one shot and, you know, was able to like retire a couple of like raggedy things. And I literally threw in the trash bin a couple of plastic grinders that I was just like, I'm done with you. You're out of here. Boom, boom. <laughs> you know, future roller grinder, you're gone. Um, the $5 grinders went right in the trash. Uh, so now I've got two two metal ones. I think I have one more throwaway grinder kicking around somewhere for, you know, traveling and stuff. But at any rate, I'm not using any of the papers from the Veridi Munera box today. Um, and I'm done grinding now. I'm using these king-sized uh, Roots Edition hemp rolling papers from Randy's Wired. Now, let me bring this up a little closer to me here. Sort of improve my speaking position a little bit while we continue talking about this. All right, I'll try to stop touching it now. Okay, so these, uh, the hemps are a little different width than the big gold box, you know, gold envelope uh, Randy's Wireds that are like kind of my real go-to over most of 2018. You know, this is a longer paper and uh, like the gold being a king sized and it's about an inch and a it's about a one and a quarter width i don't think it's an inch and a quarter i think it's a one and a quarter i think that's what that's about um with paper so you know on the generous side but it's certainly not in big bamboo class it's certainly not as wide as the gold randy's wired out of traditional paper this is a natural hemp uh unbleached uh paper and they advertise it you know as like a vegan uh product it's got um arabic gum standard uh, arabic gum for the glue on this and I'll just, you know, go ahead and make it really simple here on my review of these. I'm not as big of a fan of these roots, and it's probably mostly due to two simple things. The the thinness uh, of the paper is a little bit uh, delicate for me, just because I'm a ham-fisted dipstick. And it's just not quite as wide as I like it, right? Uh, probably, again, because of my own personal smoking preferences and failings, right? Um, I'm a giant stoner, so I need big fat joints, huge unnecessary doinks. R.I.P. Young King Dave. And, um, you know, so you got to fucking sometimes put two papers together. I'm not going to do that here today. I'm just going to stick with the single and, you know, roll what we roll in a single, which, you know, it'll it'll capture a gram, you know, probably easily. Uh, you can probably roll a gram up in this without busting it at the seams. Let's Let's toss one of those rolls tips in the end of this from the Monero box just for fun. Because I tell you what, the last couple of days I rolled up a couple of these Randys with no tip, you know, no crutch in them. And no big deal. But, yeah, you know, it's like you, it's funny because you forget what you get used to uh, and how quickly you get used to it. Because I was downright scorching my lips on the last few puffs of my last couple of joints. And it was just because I didn't have tips in them. And I was like, geez, why is this joint so hot? Well, because they're all fucking hot, bro. And if you don't, if you don't put a crutch in there they are hot at the end right so kind of funny uh to realize you know that your own you know style has changed a little bit over time and your own minimum you know spec and requirements for what you want in a joint change a little you know there was a time when i would have never 
put a crutch in a joint and I would have said that you were a fruitcake for bothering to do so and, you know, what the hell's, you know, what do you need that for, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, these days if you hand me some goobered up, bogarted fucking, you know, tipless joint that's more than halfway smoked and it's starting to get all tarry and gloppy on the end, not to mention that heat that we were just talking about, I might just pass. I might just roll my own. Start my own rotation because I, you know, it's kind of yucky, frankly. So, I, you know, I guess I'm getting a little bit snooty in my old age, getting used to these things like filter tips in my joints. Next thing you know, I'll be looking like Eartha Kitt with one of those long cigarette holders. Remember her when she was Bat Girl or Cat, Cat Woman? Jesus. Yeah, Cat Woman. <laughs> On the old Adam West, Batman and Robin show to really, really date myself as an old, old man smelling fucker. That's who you're listening to right now. <laughs> All right, that's a that's a a serviceable but very aerodynamic by my standards looking joint that we've got in front of us here. So we'll smoke that together in just a minute. I like it though. So yeah, that's. Um, that's what we got. It's it's rollable. Uh, it's still my favorite um, rolling paper company, Randy's, um, for the simple fact that the wire that's built into the rolling paper not only greatly aids in the actual rolling of the joint. I've barely picked up one of my little joint rollers. Not that I ever needed them, but they're very convenient and a lot of fun to use when you have them around. Looking at a future roller sitting right in front of me. Looking at an OCB bamboo one chilling on the other corner of the desk right in front of me. Just mostly collecting dust. As long as I have Randy's wires in the house, I don't need a rolling machine at all. Uh, the wire itself just adds this interesting little straight structure and toughness to the proposition of rolling it in your hand and just make makes everything really, really easy and fast. Um, I think they have curved papers beat that way. I think the only thing that approaches them for ease of rolling is my favorites, the big, ba- big bamboos, but that's simply because they have so much overlap and flap, and a lot of people don't like that much flavor, frankly, or that thick of a paper, for that matter, um, as something like the big bamboos. So um, not only does it make rolling easier, but it also ends up the wire itself that's part of the uh, rolling paper. It serves as its own roach clip or cigarette holder, like I was joking about just a moment ago with a black you know, Bakelite plastic cigarette holder from, you know, the 1950s. This little wire just sort of comes out and and makes itself known as your paper burns down. And it's sticking out there in the air until you bend it away to the side and turn it into a little handle. And you can then daintily hold your joint to the very last puff, smoke every little bit of flour that's in there right down to the tip with or without a crutch, as we were talking about. And the Randy's construction with the wire would definitely at least be an argument for not needing the tip because you don't need that to hold on to uh, and, and smoke when you're close to your lips at the end of the smoke. But it is nice even, you know, with the tip in there and uh, works beautifully. So I, I can't say enough about how useful the wire is. And I guess this is as close as I'll come right now anyway, to begging anybody for sponsorship here on the podcast, or at least, yeah, again, lately and for a while. (laughs) Randy's, Wired, Bros, help a brother out. I work in the biz. I go to a lot of events. 
I travel around the Pacific Northwest, and I like to send people out TLC and care packages for the podcast every once in a while. I would love to represent for Randy's Wired if you guys want to throw your boy Steve some Randy's Wired swag. Get at me. I'm going to get at you. I'll tell you that right now. All right. Well, that's our review of the Randy's Roots Edition Hemp Vegan King-Sized Papers. Now, we will smoke that joint in just a moment. I have no compunction or worries about how it's going to smoke or burn, anything like that. All the Randy's are really consistent. And I've already already used a bunch of these um, Roots editions. Uh, I bought them in like a multi-pack. I, got like, I went to the Randy's website and ordered like one of their little ditty bag pouches and in it came an assortment of different papers but i think you can go there and build whatever you want with them in terms of an order if you want to get stocked up on your randies so check them out i'm pretty sure it is uh let's see i'm trying to see if they got it on their packaging here but i'm pretty sure it's randyswired.com no no it's uh, randies.com they got they got the domain randies.com pretty good Got some notes around here somewhere, probably. I bet. I bet I do. There they are. All right. I'll leave, you know, the rest of, like, uh, what I usually would have had, should have done at the beginning of this podcast was do a nice little succinct, hey, this is where you can find me. This is where you can subscribe to me. This is where you can tell your friends to find the podcast, etc. Maybe I'll do a little miniature one of those at the end. All right. Um, I think... Before we do our garden update, let's have a dab together, shall we? I think that's a great idea. We'll have a dab, and then as the dab is settling in, and we move from the garden update into some of the other stuff that we're going to talk about here on the podcast, then we'll smoke that joint. All right. So bear with me for one second while I grab my equipment. You get a hold of your accoutrements if you don't already have them. And uh, clear yourself space. Boil some water for some tea. Pour yourself a nice cold glass of water, whatever your style. And uh, let's get ready to have a dab and talk gardening, right? Gardening season's right around the corner. All right, I'm going to hit pause. You'll barely notice. Coming right back. All right, I'll probably truncate that uh, torch interlude slightly for the podcast itself. But, you know, I like to share the experience with you a little bit, right? Um, No emails uh, in here, anything like that, you know. We're dabbing out of like a $60 bodega rig that I think I got on sale for $50. Ended up being, I experimented with bangers quite a bit with this initially and uh, ended up with a thick-walled, angled banger that has been the best because no matter how badly I chaz it, I can easily clean it really quickly and keep on dabbing. And I haven't even been using Q-tips on this thing.
which quite frankly is very nice because I don't like that, you know, constant maintenance game with bangers that are really high maintenance, um, maintenance game, high maintenance bangers, but you, you know what I'm saying? Um, some of them just like Chaz, every time you look at them funny and this thicker walled angled banger, maybe I'll post a picture of it for you guys so you can see the style I'm talking about, um, Super common, super inexpensive, will probably be no problem for me to replace it with basically the same thing when this one gives up the ghost on me. But that's the thing, this one hasn't broken or given me a moment's trouble, and it's been in there for a couple of months. So, and, you know, I dab almost every day, a little bit, you know, so if I'm not on a big flower kick. All right, so we've been busy in the garden. We had some snow here in Seattle recently. Anybody living here in the Pacific Northwest in Washington and Oregon, you've had some snow, uh, in the last, you know, few weeks. Uh, we had like over just a few days here in Seattle, we got like an eight inch dump and another, you know, uh, six or seven inch dump a few days over the next couple of days. Uh, it was like, a you know, an, an eight inch day, a two or three inch day, couple few days of, uh, cold. And then, uh, another few inches on top of it all before it was done. So we really had uh, about as eventful of a winter as Seattle will have uh, snow-wise. And right at a time when otherwise, you know, I was already eyeballing the garden. You know, we always start too early around here. We end up losing stuff every season to like getting drowned out from too much rain early on. Uh, or I sometimes you know, stupidly get out ahead of the frost and, you know, the last of the frosts and we'll get stuff going in the beds. In recent years, we have shifted our focus, or at least we've evolved our approach to uh, begin to use starter greenhouses. First, it was the plastic bag styles over frames, you know, uh, and uh, last year we built our Harbor Freight, you know, semi-permanent, you know, structural greenhouse. Uh, I'm really proud of it. I'm really excited about it. We've just had endless pleasure out of it already, uh, simply in playing with it and enjoying it. It has been too expensive electric bill wise. I heated it all winter and kept lights running in it. And I think I'm going to significantly modify the way I do that for next season, like more passive heating, more natural light and, uh, only led or fluorescent supplemental lighting, uh, that is of a low pull overall uh, load uh, sort of thing. But those plans and ideas are for another day. We're not going to talk about the ins and outs of the nitty gritty on the greenhouse today. The greenhouse is up and running. It's got ventilation. It's got lights. It's got fans and dehumidifiers. And it's late February. So it is time to start planting, uh, start uh, our early season propagation, as it were, in the greenhouse. So um, what I want to share with you today is what we've already done. And then uh, simply visiting with a resource that I found here on the web uh, that looks very much in agreement with everything we've learned over our last pretty much like 10 years of gardening. I mean, we've been gardening, veggie gardening at some level here at the house from day one. And we've been here since 2008 now. So, and not every season is the same and not every season is as strong, but we've never not planted and probably never will not plant, right? It's what you do once you're gardening. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to read you, you know, a guide for 
our part of the country, the Pacific Northwest, Zone 8B, I want to say. And uh, But this will apply broadly to Zone 8A and 8B. If you're 8A, you're a little bit south of us. And if anything, you'll be just a little bit ahead of us on any given timetable for sowing, harvesting throughout the year. You have, you know, your uh, spring will start that little bit sooner than ours. And your fall will go that little bit later than ours. So in a temperate fashion to use broad generalizations that are no in no way to be misconstrued as really good advice just doing my best here you guys sharing with you what we know so far right what we've learned over time what we're doing so far so let's see uh my wife mrs bluebird nicole she got out there last weekend. I filled a couple of uh starter trays for her with um seed starter mix so that's pretty pretty light pretty plain uh, mix with a lot of uh, like vermiculite type stuff in it and a lot of peat in it and not a lot of nutrition although they do say they charge it with a few microbes of some kind right um, and this would be you know I don't even know what brand we bought I bought it at McClendon's don't even fucking know don't ask me buy whatever seed starting mix you want you could start your seeds in plain peat if you wanted to uh, people start their seeds a million different ways there's you know there's probably wrong ways to do it, but there's not a lot of wrong ways to do it. If you get your seeds to pop, then you're doing something right and go from there. All right. Um, but what we do is we throw it in, in generic seed starting mix, light, light charge, very minimal charge on that um, because the seeds can't quite take it usually. You know, they don't have their real leaves yet. They're, you know, they, they come with their own food inside of them. Right. Okay. So let's understand that. Um, we're planning to pop the, the seeds that I'm going to list you off the following that are sitting in their tray right now. Uh, one's on a warming mat and one's not, so we'll see the difference in germination rates on the two. Um, and uh, But we're going to shoot to do all these early season species of plant and nurture them in the greenhouse for up to eight weeks, maybe ten around here, who knows, in the greenhouse and begin transitioning them out somewhere in that eight to ten week range into the garden from, from now. Okay, so this will be, let's say end of february end of march end of april is what we're end of april is when we're shooting on starting to move this stuff into the garden okay and here in the pacific northwest that'll be a route about when we can expect that like the last of the hard frosts will be over okay so our frost free growing season will begin the end of april the beginning of may um what did what did nicole plant she planted onions i think a couple different varieties kales one or two kinds i think there's some beans that made it in radishes, broccoli, cauliflower, a red cabbage. I think we got Brussels sprouts started as well. So those are all our traditionals, early seasons, all of which want to get started right now and will be followed by a number of other things, including the tomatoes and some melons and pumpkins, uh, squash that we'll be, you know, planting in the next phase of the season peas as well some other things okay we'll get to them some fun projects though that are kind of uh not annuals but perennials we have a large robust rosemary in the front of the house that i've been meaning to germinate um and propagate excuse me propagate for years so we're starting small i just have a few cuttings of the rosemary that nicole took for me and we have them in the kitchen in a glass of water and I'm going to 
take some additional ones very soon and I'm going to add rooting hormone to the water in that glass and do a little bit of light preparation on those stalks uh, of that rosemary and then we're going to compare the um, rooting you know uh, rate like the take rate and the rate of speed at which they root and grow uh, in both methods so I think we got those uh, rosemaries on the counter yesterday or the day before and I'm going to go do this this afternoon when I get done recording is take some more doing with the rooting hormone those if they do well are going to be something that I want to learn to do many at a time of and uh, if anything uh, have a baby rosemary sort of crop every spring that I prepare you know that we overwinter and propagate in the greenhouse all winter and bring out in the spring as a spring fun perennial that we can give as gifts uh, or bring to events and things and give away or you know sell if that's possible so i'm excited about the rosemary and um we can do that with a number of other plants on the property as well but we're starting with the rosemary is one of the first that we're looking at for for that kind of fun and for sustainable reproduction of it i also have a cool cherry tree uh Got some seeds. Uh, Nicole got them for me as a gift a few months back. I noticed the other day that my storage method for them wasn't the best, and a few of the cherries were showing signs of getting moldy in their bag. Uh, so I quickly pulled them all out, gave them a light hydrogen peroxide and water bath. You know, mostly all water, a little splash of hydrogen peroxide. You know, sacrificed a few that I just was a little skeptical of and have most of that um, stash of Suriname cherries uh, sitting in a wet uh, tray uh, trying to germinate them now. Those, for those of you who are not familiar with them, I will absolutely post a picture of the Suriname cherry on my Instagram. So that'll be Instagram at baked underscore and underscore awake. And they're beautiful. They look like Chinese lanterns. They're really wild. Never tried one, never tasted one. Saw a YouTube video about a guy growing them in his yard, and he had several of them, and they were trees that dropped cherries all the time. So I'll probably be cursing them in 10 years from now when they're all over my yard and I have more of them than I know what to do with. But I'm hoping to germinate as many of these as possible. Keep just a couple. And again, make those potentially available after about a year of you know care uh, or so. Uh, as plants to give away or share that are super unique um, because it's a you know perennial and a much rarer variety of fruit and you know is it even really a true cherry I don't know they call it a Suriname cherry though look them up if you want to but also as I said follow me on insta and I'll share them there as well uh, what the mature fruits should look like but so that's another project that we're excited about and I, I, I believe we saved those seeds so I'm sure we'll get a lot of them to pop got strawberries going we got seedless grapes going i know seedless grapes are gmo whatever i don't know what to tell you we brought them home we're gonna grow them they look good on the package nice big red grape so we'll see how they how they go maybe we'll find some seeded grapes later on down the line i don't know uh, maybe i'll find some seeded grapes and steal the seeds grow my own grapes um we've got a hazelnut tree that might be dead i don't know it's one of those baby ones, uh, and it has no leaves on it, and was like looked like a dead thing in the bag. But we think it's got some life left in the stock, so uh, it's transplanted. We're babying it. It's in the infirmary. Put it that way. We'll see if she pulls through. 
Cool thing, uh, speaking of strawberries a minute ago, uh, Nicole got something called a pineberry. Never seen them before in my life. They look like a negative of a strawberry. So imagine white flesh with tiny red dots where the pits are, where the seeds are all around the skin. Uh, really cool looking fruit. I'll probably share that one, sure, as well on Instagram for you guys so you can see that. So check that out. Um, so that's, you know, that's most of what's in the, in the greenhouse going right now. Um, I'm going to now move to a guide that I found at gardeningknowhow.com. Okay, and uh, it looks like our friend Teo Spengler compiled this article for us, compiled it, wrote it. He compiled it if he was like a robot. Teo's a bot. Don't get me started. <laughs> All right, let's. We might have to smoke this weed sooner rather than later, but let's uh, let's get it. Gardeners living in Zone Eight. All right, they're going to share with us uh, the general picture. You know, we enjoy hot summers and long growing seasons. All right, spring and autumn in Zone Eight are cool. Growing vegetables in Zone Eight is pretty easy if you get those seeds started at the right time. I agree. Now. I already told you what we planted. Here's a list of cool weather vegetables that are like frost tolerant um, or cold weather tolerant. Let's not say frost tolerant, right? We don't really want to frost things up. But cold weather tolerant that you can get started right now, even if you're a little late, all right, if you're anywhere in zoning. This would be mid-February to the beginning of March, okay? So these include broccoli and cauliflower, Okay, should have already been started in your garden, in your rather in your greenhouse or in your starting window. All right, this is your indoor, you know, propagation space. You can start beets. We might have started beets too. I might have missed that on our list. You can start cabbage. You can start carrots, kale, lettuce. I don't think we've started lettuce yet, but we need to. Peas, spinach. Absolutely. You want both of those going. Tomatoes and onions can be started indoors around the middle of February. We have onions started. We will probably be getting tomatoes from our usual supplier of tomatoes, which is um, Mrs. Bluebird's school horticultural program. So we'll see how that comes uh, out. They do a lot of heirlooms that they usually set us up with for next to nothing. So um, so we, you need to, whatever you start right now, these need the next eight weeks, ten weeks to get strong and beautiful before they're ready to start getting moved outside. And some, you know, are going to be ready right at the beginning of that eight-week period, and some are not. Um, How are you going to care for those seeds in those trays? You're going to put them in a sunny window, preferably a southward-facing window. Okay? If you are savvy enough that you have one of those seedling uh, warming mats, the rectangular plug into the wall, flat, flexible heating elements that uh, are often used to speed up seed germination. Great. If you don't have that, no big deal. Just make sure that window isn't too crazy cold at night. You can pull the curtain in front of it at night to give the uh, seeds a little buffer from the outside world. It'd be wonderful if you're able to cover your seed starting tray. Okay. 
This is assuming, by the way, you've already germinated seeds if you're going to germinate seeds on like the wet paper towel method. All right. And if you're not doing that, if you're going straight into soil like we did with most of those that I just mentioned, with the exception of the Suriname cherry, then what you need to simply do is make sure you're utilizing some kind of seedling starting tray that has a nice water catch uh, tray collector underneath it. Uh, and you really want to be light in your application of water that is mist uh, on top and actually watering from below in the form of allowing the capillary action of this again as I mentioned lightweight starter mix it's not really soil per se that you're starting these seeds in right I mentioned the high peat moss and vermiculite type content that you'll typically see in the seed starting mixes that's preferable and that's a very much the type of media that can, through its own natural absorbency, will pull up some moisture from that tray below, and that will spread around the entire material in the in the tray, in all the little compartments, with very you know few exceptions or need for extra help or soaking or pouring in targeted spots from you. And, and this is the hard part for me, you guys. I'm hesitating because I have the biggest problem with this. You really got to not touch them. <laughs> uh, don't dig to look to see if your little covered seeds are doing good or if they're doing anything down there. They're all doing something, all right? And almost all your seeds are going to pop, and they're all going to come up in just a few days. But you put them in that southward-facing window. If you can put a dome over that tray, you know, you can get one of these setups for under 10 bucks. I think, at, you know, any local hardware store with a garden aisle um, seed starting tray with a clear plastic dome. Anybody who's listening to me and who already messes with gardens, you probably have one of these somewhere, right? It might be a little dirty. Go clean it off. Pull it out. You've still got plenty of time. You're, you're going to be listening to this before March 1st. So take care of those babies until mid to late April, you're going to start moving most of this stuff outside in April, at the end of April there. A couple of the things that you might plant if you start them right now, like beans, those, you could start them in the next week or two, and those could go out at pretty much the same time. Um, so they're, you know, because they'll germinate a little quicker, and if they go out in late April, they'll make it. Um, you can start Brussels sprouts, which we already did indoors. I'm probably a little early on the Brussels sprouts. Um, corn, I never have good luck with corn. We just don't. We struggle with it around here. We're we're gonna we're gonna try again this year. We'll see. Um, they want us to start our corn in mid-April, indoors. Okay, cucumber. We haven't started any of those yet, and it's recommended for our area that you start them indoors in April and then only germinate them for, you know, six weeks or so and get them outside sometime in May or June. They mention here hardening off of seedlings prior to planting out. And what I think we'll do for you is talk about how we're going to be hardening ours off prior to planting out to make it really simple what they're telling you to do is open things up and make your greenhouse cold and wide open or take the things outside during the day 
quite a bit during the last couple weeks before you take them outside. So, and let them get sprinkled on a little bit and let them get blown on in the rain a little bit. And yeah, you got to go back outside and put them back in the greenhouse at night and tuck them in for the night. But, you know, you're letting them know that it's, you know, you're, you're showing them a lot closer to the real environment by taking them outside um, for pretty much the better part of the day during uh, the last couple of weeks before planting out. So, and what we'll do when we revisit that on our next garden update is talk to you about as we transfer veggies out, what next round of veggies for uh, the late season, the fall and winter crops will begin to be, you know, selected. And we won't even start messing with them until like August, right? We'll be harvesting a lot of the summer stuff by the time we're prepping the fall and winter stuff. But that'll be for our next garden update. Yeah, if you have any questions about this and gardening in general or the resources that we've used, uh, you know, I have some other favorites that I use, some books that we've got around here that we've had for years, um, you know, some of which are just analog books, not a lot different than uh, an almanac or a hundred other books that, you know, you probably also have around and don't look at uh, that often anymore for a lot of this stuff. So, uh, but I'm, I'm happy to share almost all our gardening philosophy took its genesis originally in the Mel's square foot gardening uh, school of gardening thought. So, uh, and which is definitely a version of a no-till gardening approach too. So we'll talk about that more in coming garden updates as well. So, all right. Let me know what else you want to know about the garden. And we just love it, so can't get enough of it. Got a new favorite YouTube guy that I've been listening to like crazy for gardening and no-till gardening guru. Uh, I'll share him with you on an upcoming episode too because he's really great. Uh, message me if you're that curious, and I'll, I'll point you at him right now. Uh, okay, so I got something crazy. Came across my desk, as they say. All right, transitioning from cannabis content and garden content to astronomy yeah let's call it astronomy i think i gotta go to the phone for this one because this email is still just down on the phone so this is about saturn my favorite i just feel like saturn's always in the news but I also have a Google alert set up for the planet Saturn and the very word Saturn. Uh, so naturally, I'm getting headlines about it all the time. I've reported on Saturn quite a bit, actually, on the news brief lately, which is the um, spinoff content show to this one, uh, the Baked and Awake News Brief, which is an Alexa skill. Um, that is, at the end of the day, still a podcast RSS feed and therefore available on Apple iTunes for, you know, I iOS, your podcast app, and Google Play Store, and everywhere else for that matter, uh, all, where all the good podcasts are sold. But in particular, the news brief plays on Amazon Alexa and other smart uh, speakers, but Alexa-powered speakers in particular, and shows up in their Alexa skills store, so to speak, as a downloadable, enableable, blah, 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 skin, skill, 
skin. My kid and his Minecraft has got me going crazy with skins. No, we're not buying him any skins. No, he just wants them, obviously. <laughs> Getting back to Saturn. Latest headline on Saturn. Check out the news brief, and uh, you can you know scroll through that feed on any of the normal podcasting apps to uh, listen to them in any order. Don't really have really descriptive titles on those. Just pretty much the name of the brief, and and off we go. But they vary in length from like one or two minutes to no more than fifteen minutes or so. Whereas you know we tend to go for a good hour on the podcast most of the time, right? got this from the Google Alerts, and the source that we read this at first, not in any particular order, I've seen it a couple other places since then, just since yesterday when it came through, but this is the Great Lakes Ledger, the online version, greatlakesledger.com, and uh, they say here, Saturn's moon Titan might house mysterious methane-based extraterrestrial life. So NASA has launched the Ocean Worlds Exploration Program. The project's goal is to track down aquatic alien life. To summarize, they believe they have found methane-based life, uh, or not, they don't, they don't think they've found it. They think it may be there on Titan. Titan, of course, is a uh, moon of Saturn that figures prominently in science fiction and mythology and even more notably perhaps to us in our explorations of the electric universe theory folks and the thunderbolts project folks and all the cool purple dawn theory ganymede hypothesis level stuff if you don't understand what i'm talking about that's okay guys Scroll down in your feed right here on Baked and Awake, and there's a couple of episodes on each of these uh, topics that I just mentioned. Look for Thunderbolts Project, look for Electric Universe, look for Purple Dawn, and look for Ganymede Hypothesis. And there's podcast episodes from me on each of those. There's abundant YouTube content on all of them. Um, What's interesting to me about this is to jump back into the article. Uh, you know, what they have here is a, uh, a NASA project called Roadmaps to Oceans, Worlds Group, right? Wonderfully weird, clunky nomenclature. Dr. Amanda Hendricks exclusively explains that the Ocean Worlds program represents the best chances of encountering alien life. She said that in our solar system, the ocean moons around gas giants represent the ideal place to look for alien life. But we need to understand, once and for all, whether these oceans host extraterrestrial life or not. Uh, I was trying to get to this, I think. She thinks that on Titan, one of the moons of Saturn, there are some chances of finding alien life forms. She added that taking into consideration the fact that Titan has a methane ocean both on the surface and underneath it, plus that it also has liquid hydrocarbon lakes. This moon is a unique world. With that being said, some types of microorganisms could exist on Titan. To be more precise, the Saturn's moon might host methane-based extraterrestrial life. However, that life, of course, they always have to tell us, 
may not be as complex as people think, or, quote, read code wish. No gray aliens with big black eyes would be swimming around the methane oceans of Titan. I guess my only commentary on this would be that it's uh, really interesting. Saturn keeps coming up in the uh, headlines. We've got changes to the rings of Saturn. They seem to be slowly dissolving. We've got things flying around in the rings of Saturn. They've been getting reported on for many years now. That's not news by any stretch. We have changes in the appearance of the planet itself. So we have a lot of plans for exploration of the moons. Unmanned, I think, presently planned i don't know what the you know long-term outlook for that is and i'm not here to you know sit and you know talk wildly about how i'm sure it's been extensively mapped by the secret space program and colonized by now or anything like that either you know we haven't we haven't fucked with any of that yet around here right um so that's just a fun story about Saturn. I, I'm always tracking on Saturn because of the Thunderbolts project and because of the Purple Dawn theory that is so fascinating to me and was probably one of the biggest uh, topics of fascination for me for all of last year. And, and it remains, you know, it's we're not done with that by any means. That said, uh, you know, I think you guys, if you haven't checked it out, Go back and check it out and let me know if you want to hear a lot more about Thunderbolt's project and all this Electric Universe theory stuff. I, I think it has a lot of legs uh, for exploration in terms of explaining our universe from a different perspective. So I'll leave the link in the show notes. Always do. You can find them easily by visiting bakedandawake.com. All the episodes are there and you can scroll them right on the main page of the website when you click read more it'll take you it'll pop you out to my podcast my hosted page from libsyn nothing fancy nothing weird there you won't see any ads or anything there it's just bang straight to the podcast but that's where the best version of the show notes is always like the formatting and the hyperlinks and things all work properly there um I unfortunately have to upload separate notes to YouTube to get it to work properly there. And I'll try to improve my workflow so that I do that better for those of you who are listening to this on YouTube. You know, I love you guys. Okay. I really do. I, I get so excited about my continued, you know, slow and steady climb of subscriber count over there at YouTube, 210 and counting as of this morning. So exciting. So I'll, I'll keep on trying to do more content for YouTube as well. Um, our biggest kick right now is the the exploration of my local surroundings for mud flood evidence and Tartarian style so-called architecture and features in the area. It's wacky. It's super fringy. Um, it's got me hanging out with people like flat earthers on the internet and making friends with them. Um, so yeah. Dude, I'm doing this shit so that you guys don't have to. So you're welcome. All right? That's right. And they're great people. And I'm not tripping. All right? I don't know nothing anymore. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Because, uh, you know, you're going to hear some stuff. Um, I, I try to keep it pretty light on that front in terms of any of the, uh, you know, FE indoctrination whatsoever in, in, the, in the areas that I'm exploring on this uh, mystery. But on that topic... 
I've actually enlisted some help. Okay, and I want to tell you about that help. I want to tell you about this help because it was important to me that I get some perspective from some people who I like respect and trust on the mystery of the mud flood and Grand Tartaria. If you haven't listened to the episodes that I've done about this topic yet again, roll back. You can pause this one. Come back and see me in a few. All right. But I've done a couple episodes on this event that supposedly occurred sometime in the early to mid-1800s. Some speculate as early as 1812. Some events in some places may have begun to occur. Maybe some even earlier than that. But culminating in maybe the 1850s. A so-called civilization reset that decimated the adult population of an old guard, old world order, globe-spanning civilization known only today as Grand Tartaria. I say known only as, but of course there are derivatives of the name Tartary, Tartan, like spin-offs and uh, devolvements of it that survived to the present day. Some of you may recall that I have a community that I closely associate with um, of, of independent podcasters of all shapes and sizes from all around the world, the Podcast Builders League. And um, among that fine core are a few who, among them, are even closer to me. Um, standout podcasts that cover topics that I love and am interested in continually and that keep me coming back for more. Um, these folks each also entertain greatly in the course of their work with their podcasts. And so as I've been investigating Tartaria, I get more and more excited about it but I try to temper myself because I say, well, how, how much, just how much am I really going to get laughed at when I tell somebody that I find this interesting, intriguing, curious, perplexing, fascinating even? So yeah, so I say to myself, hey, self, you know some really cool podcasters who mess with some really thorny stories themselves. But one or two of them, one or two of them might find this a toothsome topic of conversation, worthy of investigation. Relatively, in a short period of time, I realized just who I wanted to help me out with this: people with very specific sets of skills and and perspectives, um, people geographically located in different places than me and who have the perspective of their different cultures and, indeed, geography to inform their investigations much differently than I will here in the Pacific Northwest of North America. So, without speaking out of school or saying here, making promises about what any of my friends are going to do with this, I've invited my friends from the Robots for Eyes podcast 
the Carousel Sniper Victim podcast. And my friends from the Eastern Border podcast, each to look into this mystery for me. Now, starting with Robots for Eyes. Okay. Rob and Tom, brothers, look into mysteries, conspiracies, and crazy stories out of history of all sorts, week in and week out on Robots for Eyes. They're very smart. They do some research. <laughs> Not, you know, it varies, I believe, greatly, topic to topic. They record out of the UK. I want to say pretty close to London, they'll tell us. Anyway, I don't have to tell you that that's a wonderful part of the world to look for, for old architecture and historical locations that we might very well be able to tie to key plot points that we find in the many, many, many YouTube documentaries, videos, whatever you want to call them that are out there on this topic. So that's Rob and Tom there over in the UK. Then we've got, not too far from them, relatively speaking in the grand scheme, my friend Chris Stapps. And I believe he's got some new collaborators over there with him at the Eastern Border who have been helping him out with recent episodes. The Eastern Border, his podcast, is a not quite weekly, uh, but a incredible historical podcast, originally, initially about Cold War Russian history, USSR history, uh, from the perspective of a Latvian historian and educator himself, journalist, excuse me. I think the show has evolved slightly over time. He d definitely tackles some uh, modern topics in terms of uh, European and Russian uh, current events and politics. He's also covered amazing fringe topics in Russian history, such as The Old Ones, uh, an incredible, beautiful story of indigenous, orthodox, believing Russian community that absolutely refused to change their beliefs for the USSR or for anybody else, and uh, the remnants of which uh, society still exists today. Uh, and you better believe that as Chris Stapps and I have our conversations about Tartaria, I'll be asking him to consider the potential of a connection between Grand Tartaria and the old ones. Uh, finally, the dynamic duo from Down Under, Sean and Jack, close, close friends to my heart with Carousel Sniper Victim, relentlessly... Uh, rough storytelling at times from Sean, and I mean that in the best of ways. He's not. He's not a. He's not a gross, gratuitous, or offensive storyteller at all. He's a good storyteller. They tackle tough topics, crazy events from history, tragic events from history, um, Dyatlov Pass. Uh, you know, um, uh, what is it? Section seventy-one. Um, I'll tell you what, forget all that bullshit. You want a perfect example of what Carousel Sniper Victim episode to listen to? I'll tell you the one. 
Let's go diving. D-I-E dash V-I-N-G. You listen to that one. Yeah, you take that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Carousel Sniper Victim, great podcast. And my Mud Flood following friends will already know that there is a lot of Mud Flood history supposedly going on down around Australia. All right? So, again, not to make promises for what these guys are going to do, but they've all expressed interest in looking into the topic with me, have expressed excitement about potentially creating some content around it. I'm hoping to host a Facebook hangout of some kind or a YouTube live where I hang out with some or all of these guys in, you know, voice and video chat and or a combo of chat, um, you know, just depending on what tools we've got at our disposal, what we can leverage, what we can pull together for you guys. So there may be some YouTube specific content if I have anything to say about it in addition to some podcast content from some of the best podcasters I know. I really hope that they can give me their perspectives, their unique thoughts on this mystery. And I hope that I infect a couple of them, at least, with a lasting need for that tartar source, right? Speaking of the tartar source, I want to, before we sign off, and we're closing on on an hour right here and now, I want to... uh, First off, thank Andreas Zertus for creating TartaryNova.com and for creating a great Facebook community around uh, Tartarian research and uh, mud flood research and history. I'll give you the name of that right now. That's the Tartary Zertus Courtyard, and that's an X in Zertus, so that's X-I-R-T. US. The Facebook community is called the Tartary Zertus Courtyard. It's a group. It has over 1,300 members, and it's a treasure trove of Grand Tartarian imagery, maps from the Middle Ages, uh, documents, and think, uh, you know, think pieces and articles from people about their theories about this. Uh, it's just a wonderful place. Uh, you join those folks there. You follow Andreas Zertus on YouTube as well. Uh, I've hyped my man Philip Drujanin many times on uh, the podcast in recent uh, weeks as I've been covering this mud flood. He's another incredible uh, researcher in this field and prolific YouTuber. He's out there marching around in the streets in Russia near his home showing us the architecture on video. And I've been trying to imitate that in my own poor fashion in my own backyard and I want to give him direct credit for inspiring me to do that so Mr. Drujanin thank you but definitely check out the uh, tartarinova.com that's Andreas Zertis's uh, portal to his minds.com profile and community where they're also doing uh, mud flood and tartarian research I'm gonna don't you don't you worry your little head all these Links are going to be in the show notes for you, as always. So check that out at bakedandawake.com. I usually point you there first, and that'll send you back to the podcast page uh, in what I've found to be the most like intuitive and useful fashion. So uh, anyway, um, 
I'm excited to keep researching this for all of you. I'm excited to field your questions. I have gotten emails. I have gotten text messages from friends that I didn't even know were listening to the podcast. One friend told me that there is a great Seattle Fire VR experience going on down in downtown Seattle at a local museum for just another few days, and I have to try to get in there. I think I have another, maybe another week to get in there and check that out. Somebody else emailed me telling me that they've been looking at the buildings all around them lately, and they're all messed up about it. And uh, they used to work in a historic building in downtown Seattle in Pioneer Square. They ran a beautiful little uh, boutique messenger uh, cycling-oriented shop. Those of you who are true locals and know just who I'm talking about, um, down in Pioneer Square for oh over five years in that building. And uh, they're in another cool and kitschy location in Seattle now, a little different part of town with its own interesting history, um, but different. And, uh, you know, they were telling me that they were thinking about their old building and that we should get together and talk about that. I can't wait. Cannot wait. So I love it. Get at me any way you want to, but you can always email me. Talk to us at bakedandawake.com. And I'll be sure to reply to you quickly. I love getting emails about the show. So drop a review sometime in iTunes if you want to, too. I barely ever ask for them anymore. But they say they're a good thing to get. (laughs) I've been fortunate. People have been good to me in there. I've got over 35 reviews, and they're all pretty positive. But uh, it'd be nice to get some fresh ones going for 2019, right? So if you're using iOS and you have the, the app, on your phone you can do it right from in there so just like search up the podcast like you did when you first subscribed just navigate your way back down to the reviews where you see other people put their you know their star rating on it and you can even leave a rating if you don't want to do the review thing all right but that's about it you guys uh you know check out the whole zertus world i'll i'll point you at it we'll get you caught up with him on youtube Catch Mr. Drusianin on YouTube. Catch him on Instagram as well. Phil Drusianin on Instagram. I think it's Phil underscore Drusianin on Instagram. But I'll test that link and put that in the show notes for you as well. Try to get you guys all hooked up with your mud flood resources so your brains can get blown just like mine was. Um, I'm going to point you at Carousel Sniper and I'm going to point you at the Eastern Border and I'm going to point you at Robots for Eyes because I want you to get to know those guys all as well. because I want you to know why I was so excited that they were excited about checking out Tartaria with me. Because I know we're going to get some interesting insights from each of them. So, uh, all right, everybody. Uh, I had one last thing that I was going to talk about, but we're going to cut it because we're a little bit over an hour right now, and I'll talk about it next weekend. It's about, pre- or next weekend, next episode. It's about preparedness. It's about family preparedness, and it's about how you can take some of the first steps that you are able to that any of us can do maybe even with stuff you already have around to start that preparedness mindset for emergencies okay and taking care of uh, just feeling feeling calm and feeling like you have some tools in place ready and waiting to bring you comfort and keep you safe in a time of emergency so we're going to be messing with that next episode here on Bacon Awake. You guys take care of yourselves. Be good to each other. Don't forget, smoke some indica.
and do shit anyway.